She was this gun-toting, whiskey-drinking broad. The super epic fucking broad. She was a pioneer in the industry. She's also so famous and so controversial. So controversial. So she's kind of a big fucking deal. Her story is so incredible. She belongs on this podcast because she's a broad you should know. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I'm here today with Chloe Skye. I'm here. And I'm your host, Sarah Gorski. I forgot to say that. I usually say that first. Wow. What a mess. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Whatever. I'll be first. Chloe, I'm so glad you're... I'm, first of all, I'm always glad you're back. But I'm so glad you're back for this broad because I really didn't want to talk about her alone. It's like actually too depressing alone. So if you... Ooh, listeners... Okay. I was excited until you said depressing, but let's Well, interesting, depressing, but like some broads, I'm like, oh, this is great to research. And then some broads that just feel like they need another ear, like I need another voice. So I'm really glad you could be here to talk about Frances Farmer. Franny Farmer. Have you ever heard of her? Oh, I have heard that name. So there is a Fanny Farmer who's a famous cook, and this is not the same person. We're not talking about this old lady who made a very famous cookbook. Okay, wait. <laughs> that, that might be the person I've heard of. Um, I think, like, Farmer's cookbook is, like, this, like, famous cookbook. I didn't research her because she's not my broad. <laughs> right. So yours is Franny, not Fanny. Correct. Okay. And um, Frances was her, you know, her full name. She was an actress. She was a hotshot actress in the 1900s who had a very famous, and this is why she's in this series on Crazy Woman, kind of a very famous tumble down the crazy road. Partially because she was like just so famous and the tabloids very closely followed everything that happened. Unlike some of our other broads who were a little more obscure or, you know, lived before the printing press or, you know. But her story is super interesting, especially because we're like both in the industry too. I feel like you and I are going to have some some thoughts and feelings, some some T's and F's. Um, sure, is that sure. a thing yet? T's and F's. That's thoughts and prayers. Uh, thoughts and prayers I, is the common. I have one. never heard T and F's. I kind of want to make it a thing if I can. I like it honestly. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan. So I'm just going to dig right in. Frances Elena Farmer was born September 19th in 1913 in Seattle, Washington. She was the third child of Lillian Van Ornum and Ernest Melvin Farmer. And her dad was a lawyer, the son of a judge apparently too. And her mother was apparently a member of a pioneer family from Oregon. And she ran the boarding house where Ernest lived. And they fell in love and married and bought a house and had two kids. And then they have Francis. But her dad's lawyer business law firm, I guess is what you call it, <laughs> was not doing so hot. And by the early 1920s, they had to kind of downsize their house, move into a little bungalow. And these like declining fortunes of her father's and, and mother's, I guess, but mostly her father's, really kind of strained relations between the couple. And Ernest eventually kind of moves out of the house and does weekend visits. And then they eventually divorce. And Frances initially moves out to California with her mom, but her mom apparently quickly realizes that she couldn't really work and care for all her children very well, so she sends Franny back to Seattle to live with her dad. Franny would later say in an interview that, quote, being shunted from one household to another was a new adjustment, a fresh confusion, and I groped for ways to compensate for the disorder. She uh, was described as a lonely, bookish child, but also naturally a really talented performer. She took voice and piano lessons, and she made her stage debut in a church opera called The Pirate's Daughter. And then in high school, her talents kind of like 
explode. She becomes known as like a champion debater uh, and a super talented writer. She was on the debate team in the writing club. Um, she wrote short stories and poetry for the liter- the school's literary magazine. And she worked on the student paper. She also played volleyball and basketball and she did like student government clubs. And she, all this while, all she did, the, the time she did all this stuff, she maintained good grades. She was an honor society. And then in 1931, her senior year, she wins a $100 prize in a writing contest with her essay titled, God Dies. And people go berserk. The local papers, like the local newspapers outside of the school, like report it on the news with all these headlines like, Seattle girl denies God and wins prize. And like these like newspapers like got distributed around the country and the local church ministers were like looking at Franny and her English teacher and they were said they were they were evidence of quote rampant atheism in the public schools and quote if the young people of the city are going to hell Francis Farmer is surely leading them there end quote <laughs> all because of her essay God dies I mean, what was... Did you read the essay? No, I didn't read it. There was so much other stuff to research on her. I did That's not read fair. it. That's but it, like, fair. it sounds like a bunch of, like, conservative a-holes getting their nuts in a bunch over, you know, people who maybe don't fully believe in God and church. It's like... <laughs> And look, that still happens today. It's so familiar to us. It is quite familiar. But Franny was like, she was pretty unfettered by all the haters. In a later interview, she talks about this period of time and she says, quote, It was pretty sad because for the first time, I found how stupid people could be. It sort of made me feel alone in the world. The more people pointed at me in scorn, the more stubborn I got. And when they began calling me the bad girl of West Seattle High, I tried to live up to it, end quote. She graduates high school. She is accepted and enrolls at Washington University. Or, I'm sorry, University of Washington. There might be two different ones. There's sometimes two different ones, right? That is, yeah, <laughs> that is... That does happen. Um, and she starts as a journalism major, but but ends up switching to drama. And she juggles a couple different jobs while she's going to school. And she starts to get rave reviews for her stage performances. So even like college performances are like pretty well attended, I guess, by the public in that area. And at that time. Oh, yeah. For sure. Uh, One critic watched her performance and said she was, quote, destined for the lights of Broadway. And Franny fucking wanted it. In her autobiography, she would go on to say, quote, I was eaten alive with ambition. I was going to the top and no one could stand in my way. End quote. I love it. I love that. I love that energy. Oh, may we all have that energy as we try to do all the things we, we... do. <laughs> Self-confidence is key. And so she finishes school, I think. I think she finished school. I actually didn't put that in my notes. But she is like, I want to try my hand in New York City. Like, if I want to be an actress, that's what I want to do. I need to go to New York. But getting to New York was expensive. And her family's fortunes have not turned around. And this is pre-film industry, so... Yeah, New York is the place to go. Well, no, it's not pre-film industry. The film industries happen, uh, which we'll get to in a second. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so wait, what, remind me the we're year? We're like, so at this point, we're around 1935. Okay, so is yeah. this like when the film industry is still kind of in New Jersey? I don't think so. 
But she wants to, she was obsessed with the theater though. She wasn't obsessed with film. She was, she wanted to be a Broadway actress. She like legitimate theater is what she like had her heart set on. Right. Yeah. That is, that was the more respected profession for sure. Hey, I'm at the little... time, at the time, not anymore. Jeez, like, Chloe, that's like, that's what, that's didn't what expect. Movie, I wasn't prepared that's, for that kind of, <laughs> that's what the movie Babylon is about. It's about the transition from the silent film into the talkies and how like at that time, like Broadway was like held up as this grand art form and film was seen as like trash for the masses. I mean, they're not wrong. But <laughs> look what makes the money today. I don't know. Exactly. Anyway, so Franny like desperately wants to get to New York. Her family is super broke. And even though she works all these jobs, she doesn't have much more money. And then kind of like miraculously in March of 1935, she wins a trip to the Soviet Union by selling subscriptions to the Voice of Action, which was this leftist newspaper in Seattle. And the prize for selling the most subscriptions included a round trip bus ticket from Seattle to New York and then passage by steamer to moscow and so you can also okay so let's just remember her high school i'll just stay in new york okay but no but first we're gonna remember her high school essay right and all the drama god Mm -hmm. dies so can you only imagine how much people loved the fact that she was selling quote communist newspapers and won a trip to russia (laughs) and community leaders Again, went berserk. They denounced her trip as Bolshevik propaganda. The YMCA had like had rented their space for this banquet honoring her by the Voice of Action, the, the newspaper that she had been selling subscriptions for. And the YMCA cancels the event. And her mother, oh, her mother, her mother, by the way, throughout her story is real special. Oh, no. um, her mother goes on the war path and she says, she says things like her daughter had been corrupted by radical teachers. And she said, quote, the Soviet dad has struck deep in the heart of America. If I must sacrifice my daughter to communism, I hope other mothers save their daughters before they're turned into radicals in our schools. End quote. Wow. Okay. Tell us how you really feel. Oh my god. Now, of course, by your own admission, Franny didn't give two shits about communism. Purportedly, she just wanted to study Russian theater. She said, quote, I'm sorry my mother is objecting to the trip, but it is a splendid chance to further my dramatic career, end quote. And honestly, Russia does have a lot of good theater. It does. I said it abroad in Russia. I've said it like a hundred <laughs> times on this podcast. They do have amazing theater. She wrote an article in the paper trying to like play off some of this like hate. And then a lot later in her life, she would admit like the real objective. She really just wanted to get to New York. But she said, quote, the trip to Russia was nothing more than a convenient step up, a dedicated and ambitious ladder, end quote. So she leaves Seattle on this trip and her dad like gives her 20 bucks and she gets on the, the, the bus and she gets to New York. While she's in New York, she, like, is connected. Her her drama teacher, I guess, back in college, introduces her to this, quote, leftist theater group, the Group Theater. At the time, that uh, theater company includes a young playwright named Clifford Odets, which will be important in a little bit. And then she goes to Moscow. And I didn't read much about how that trip was or if her classes were as cool as mine were, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but when she returns to New York, instead of heading back to Seattle, she cashes in the return ticket for like 25 bucks and she rents a room and she starts hitting the casting offices. And she writes to her parents, quote, I have seen the world and now I am ready to make my mark on it. And she, Chloe, she was 
on fire because first of all she has all these like news stories about her trip to the soviet union like she's got like this like mad press about her right all these news articles from like not just seattle from like around the mm-hmm. country and the the major studios were like who's this chick yeah that i mean if people are talking about you people are talking that, about you for, for any reason that does help you it does help you and within a few weeks she had made, met an agent and she had a screen test and she was offered a seven-year contract contract with Paramount Pictures. And so she heads to Hollywood with what was at the time a very, uh, seemed like a generous salary of $100 a week. I already sort of said this, but but worth noting again at this moment, like Franny hadn't really been gunning for the silver screen. She thought of filmmaking that as like kind of this stepping stone for the more legitimate theater. Um, mm-hmm. And the life of a contract player actor was like, it was like not rainbows and puppies, let's say. Um, <laughs> no. and, and Franny had to kind of like swallow her misgivings and dislikes. And she kind of had to like submit to the studio demands, which included things like makeovers, one of which they shave her eyebrows off. Um, she Ugh. worked with voice. To like draw them on? I don't know. But you know, if you look at all the actresses of that era, they have those like pencil eyebrows. So probably. That's true. Okay. That's, yeah, that's strange. It was the style, question mark? <laughs> I don't know. They came back in the 90s. That style came back, and I suffered from it. I suffered from it. Um, Did you shave your eyebrows I didn't shave off? them, but I, I overplucked them quite a bit. I, I do you pluck- ever see pictures of me in high school? <laughs> just laugh. Please show me those. I can't wait. Oh, my gosh. So, um, so she had to do these makeovers. She worked with voice and movement and acting coaches. She had to spend hours posing for publicity photos, which, of course, included bathing suit shots and leg art, they called it. For the student, gross, fucking gross, softcore, right? It's like just softcore porn. Is that is that what it is? Leg art? That's what they called it, but like I'm calling it softcore porn. You know, it's like sexy, sexy thing, sexy. Is it posters. like videos of legs? Or I didn't, I didn't <laughs> research leg art. I, I, You'll have to do that on okay. your own. I don't. <laughs> I, I'm just so curious. Like, is that like the lamp from a Christmas story? I like, feel what? like, well, isn't that supposed to be about the same era? I feel like there's like this obsession with like. Christmas story is like the 50s. Oh, so a little bit later. So it's a little, but like, I don't, it could be a remnant, like a leftover yeah. leg art. Legs were, anyway. legs were in for a long time. Now it's asses. Le- Thank legs God. Are, legs are still, Ooh. I still like legs, you know? <laughs> So anyway, also uh, at this time, Franny begins taking amphetamines. Uh-oh. So I don't know if you know this or remember this maybe from Requiem for a Dream, because this was a topic in Requiem for a Dream, that fucking crazy movie. <laughs> the depressing movie I'll never watch again. Yeah, but, but amphetamines are, amongst other things, an appetite suppressant. They were commonly like prescribed by doctors for weight loss. And so Franny, I guess... The sources I was reading were saying she was concerned about her weight, and I think if you're like a, you know, a budding star, that makes sense. Yeah. Even if you weren't concerned about your weight, like, I'm sure studio heads were just constantly commenting on it, I'm and that sure. would make you eventually very concerned. About I'm it. sure. So, like, I none of the sources I said said that the studios, like, made her take it, but, like, I'm blaming yeah. the studios for making her take it. <laughs> I'm, betting, I'm betting the studios had a heavy hand in that. Yeah. 
And for those of you who haven't seen a Requiem for a Dream or haven't seen it in a long time, it, it's worth noting that amphetamines, like later in the 70s, when they finally started doing actual research on the drug, it was discovered that amphetamines are, are not only highly addictive, but they also have really unpredictable side effects. And when they're taken in huge quantity, they can produce symptoms that are similar to schizophrenia. Is the character on amphetamines the one who has the in, the ref, the the refrigerator yes. encounter? So she was yeah. taking amphetamines okay. and she starts to hallucinate and do all this crazy stuff, right? And so that was that's I feel like that's a worthy reference for bringing in for at least for our I th- generation. I think so. Um, I think so too. Yeah. Um, so she starts taking amphetamines. This is just, I'm just putting it in the story now because it's going to come back later, but this is around the time when that like probably starts, right? Um, Franny didn't, however, submit to all of the studio's demands. She refused to change her name. She also just like, didn't like dressing like the glamorous starlet style. Like all of these little starlets would wear these luxurious gowns and furs and they would go out and she was like, no. And she liked to stay home. She would like stay home and she wanted to wear the clothes she wanted to wear. And she was not necessarily reviled for that. Like the studio execs were like come on but they still like started casting her she was cast in a few b comedy films and really quickly she climbs the ranks and the following year after she gets there she makes four movies one of which she stars alongside bing crosby it was a western called rhythm on the range and the last of the four movies in that same year were what most critics regard as her best film of like all time Come and Get It was the name of it. And she played a dual role as both a world-weary cabaret singer and her virginal daughter. Oh, wow. And the the magazine, there was a magazine that called her, quote, sensationally brilliant. Howard Hawks, the director, said that she was the best actress he had ever worked with. And all of the papers were, like, widely predicting that she was going to be the next Greta Garbo. It's worth noting, though not like of great importance, that at the beginning of this year, she also marries this other young actor named Wycliffe Anderson. There's not like much to say about him. He sounds like kind of a loser. Yeah, I've never heard that <laughs> he, name. He was another actor. They were both like signed really young. And I think they, you know, met and fell in love in the rush or whatever. But apparently the one thing that is funny to talk about is that he apparently, through the course of the next couple of years, he would change his name twice. And the second time, <laughs> he changed it to Leif Erikson. Like, after the other Leif Erikson? Uh, after like Viking Leif Erikson? Yeah, like okay. I, I don't I mean you do you boo. <laughs> you do, do you boo. You do, you do you, but also like how I, ridiculous I, 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 I sure hope that helped your career. That feels like a last ditch effort to me. It, I don't think it did. I mean I think he did okay, but I don't I don't think he was a particularly uh, particularly remembered for anything. Uh, film wise anyway God, that'd be like why would you pick somebody like known I have to like the only thing I can think of is that it was like a marketing ploy to try to get cast in roles like that or something that like oh I want to be like this yeah. this tough fighter adventurer guy or maybe I don't know I mean it seems like the studio was trying to get everybody to change their names because they were trying to get Franny to change her name and she and she didn't so I don't know but it's still so fucking ridiculous no matter the reason <laughs> of all the names to choose So anyway, so when Come and Get It premieres, she is flown back to Seattle by the studio for the world premiere, and she gets, like, this royal welcome. Remember, these are the people who were, like, harassing her about her communism, quote, communism, right? But now she's the belle of the ball. She's showered with all this attention and roses and receptions, and they call her their, quote, Cinderella girl. (laughs) 
<laughs> Which, wow. Okay. Um, Fair weather friends. Yeah, indeed. But at the same time that her star is rising, she also has, was starting to kind of develop a reputation for being temperamental and difficult to work with. Like, from the beginning, she didn't wasn't a fan of Hollywood, but she, like, kind of doesn't even pretend anymore. Like, she'll, like, in interviews, she'll, she'll say things about Hollywood like, it's a nut house. That doesn't really look good either for the studios. Um, and she, like I said uh, earlier, she liked to stay home more than the studios would would prefer and apparently at one point the studio head uh, paramount studio head calls her and says quote now that you're a rising star you'd ha- you have to start acting like one but franny like she wants she wants to be taken seriously as an actress she doesn't want to be this like dumb pinup right which is what they're kind of like mm-hmm. trying to make her do so she tries to kind of hold on it's all hollywood knew how to do with women at the time right and so she tries to kind of hold on and not like give in to all these demands and despite some of these like growing reputation issues she still makes three movies in in the first six months of 1937. But the press, like, gets increasingly more and more shitty. And she starts to get, like, gossip columnists writing about her. Mm. And they, they uh, one, one of the columnists wrote, quote, Hollywood will accept what it chooses to call temperament in those who have what it takes. The question before the house is whether Frances, who it admittedly has not measured up to the expectations of the public since her remarkable performance in Come and Get It, will become a sensation again with triumphant performances or if her natural desire to go it alone will be the best of her. I had to say it like that because it's just like such a shitty review. It's just like such a shitty... It's a very catty article for sure. what the fuck? Like what? Sparking that drama. And at this point, like... Franny's like pretty over it and she convinces Paramount to give her a leave of absence from her contract so she can go do some theater in Summerstock over on the East Coast. And they say yes, they agree to it and she goes and she does these two Summerstock shows. And then in September, the group theater, if you remember who she met right before she went to Moscow, they ask her to join their ensemble. Their very famous ensemble apparently. And they Mm. invited her to play the lead, the female lead, in Clifford Odette's play Golden Boy. Boy. Theater nerds know Golden Boy was like a huge blowout hit. It ran on Broadway for 250 performances, which at that point was a record, obviously. Yeah, I feel wow. like uh, Jesus Christ Superstar and a few others have. <laughs> Cats have gone beyond at that. <laughs> but uh, it also would continue to tour on the road, all this stuff. And Franny is absolutely lauded in the reviews. They call her performance full of intelligence and depth. And she's like the, the belle of Broadway. She is like a huge success on Broadway. And she's 24 years old at this point. She's still 24. Oh, wow. oh dang. I thought way more time had no, passed. No, like none. She did this. All this stuff happens in like friggin' three or four years. All the stuff I just listed oh, wow. off was very fast, which is fucking amazing. She's like reached her epic goals and dreams, basically. But then things start to unravel. Apparently, at the beginning of Golden Boy rehearsals, Franny had fallen in love with Clifford Odette's. It's weird, like, art- the articles talk about it like it was, like, one-sided, like, she fell in love with him, which, mm-hmm. like, I don't know what to make of that, because I feel like, like, affairs are not typically fully one-sided like that. But they end up having what what one source called, quote, a tempestuous, emotionally devastating affair. My favorite kind. <laughs> God. <laughs> Oh, my God. So uh, then one day, abruptly, he breaks it off and sends her a note that reads, My wife returns from Europe today, and I feel it best for us to never see each other again. Rude. Yeah, that's pretty fucking terrible. Like, don't break up with somebody that way, for fuck's sake. Did it over a text message. (laughs) 
I guess it's the same, right? It's like, that would be the same, (laughs) the equivalent. But Franny kind of goes into kind of like dark Franny mode. And she begins to drink really heavily. And then in 1938, just a couple years later, she's sued by that this shitty agent who arranged that initial screen test with Paramount because he claimed that she owed him $75,000 in, quote, manager fees. She's able to get a, lo- a good lawyer uh, and wins the case. But it's like another step kind of downward here. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did the national tour of Golden Boy, but then the company dumps her when they bring it to London. Does it say why? It doesn't say why, but generically, everyone is saying that she's like drinking heavily and isn't doing great. Mm. Generically, they're saying that. And the guy, the guy that dumped her, he's in the show. He's the playwright. Oh, so it's like so he probably he probably engineered that whole thing. I then. mean, he's like, I just don't want to bring her. You know, I don't know. She she went crazy one day. Like, I don't know what to tell you. I have to I have to like guess that it's probably some combination of that. Because you'll see this as a kind of a repeat pattern for her now from this point out. But like, yeah. So she ends up doing two more plays with that theater company, but both of them are flops. And then she's offered the lead, the female lead again. I say female lead because usually the male leads are bigger. Especially at the time. (laughs) She's offered the female lead in a theater guild production of Hemingway's The Fifth Column, which was being directed by Lee Strasberg himself. Ooh. If you're a theater person, you're like, ooh, ah, ooh, Lee Strasberg. Mm Mm-hmm. But she had to be replaced by another actress because she was apparently just like a huge fucking mess. Mm. And so Franny hangs her head and goes back to Hollywood. Like, oh, I guess I'll do film. I guess I'll go back to film, whatever. But she finds like when she gets back that all this momentum that she had had prior to her leaving had kind of died out while she was gone to Broadway. Mm. Um, So she makes two more movies in 1940 and then four more in 1941. Most of them were all low budget not hits and she also was starting to be cast as like the supporting role and she wasn't being cast as the Mm. lead anymore and then she kind of disappears for the first nine months of 1942 and by her own account she said quote she spent most of that time alone isolated and bitter she felt herself beginning to slip away she began to work on her memoirs hoping she might be able to purge herself through self-examination end quote and at this point this amphetamine habit has become like pretty much a dependency for her Mm. and as we all recall from what i said earlier amphetamines can lead to psychosis so this is the point in the story where like it's hard to tell if her behavior was like a side effect of alcohol and drugs or like was she really mentally ill mm-hmm. and like i don't think that we'll we'll ever know right she, she's spoiler alert she's been dead a while now but like 1942 kind of marks this turn in june of that year her and that and lee ferrickson <laughs> get divorced which she didn't seem to like she didn't seem to it seemed like that was going that way anyway but franny then refuses to take a role that she's offered and paramount suspends her contract mm. and then on october 19th 1942 a policeman in santa monica stops franny for driving with her bright headlights on in a wartime dim out zone she gets into a fight with the cop and she tells him, you bore me, apparently. <laughs> uh, that's apparently, but I kind of liked it, so I included it. <laughs> Honestly, I'm going to start saying that <laughs> you, to cops. You bore me. <laughs> um, and she's arrested on charges of drunken driving, driving without a license, and failure to obey demount restrictions. And she's fined $500 and the judge forbids her from drinking. I mean, 
fair. She pays half of the fine and she promises to pay the rest later. And then she ends up traveling to Mexico because she got cast in a film. So she goes to work but quits after two weeks and returns home. But when Mm. she gets back home, she finds that her relatives had moved her out of her bungalow and into a hotel. And apparently they said she was running out of money. But she came home and she had like been moved out of her place. Wow. And then, this is only a few months later, January 1943, Franny's hired for a role in this low-budget melodrama, and on the first day of filming, she slaps a studio hairdresser, and it causes her, the hairdresser, to fall and dislocate her jaw, and the hairdresser goes to the police. That's a hard slap. Yeah, right? That's a hard slap for someone who's trying to make you look pretty. Maybe she was trying to shave her eyebrows off. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Not that there's any excuse. No, but... Yes, but no. Um, So the hairdresser goes to the police, and the police, at this point, she had not paid the rest of her fine, and there was a warrant out for her arrest. So the police track her down, and she's staying at the Knickerbocker Hotel. I know that place. I know. I think I pass it a few times. Oh, yeah. The Knickerbocker, the, the words are huge up yeah. there. And apparently at the Knickerbocker Hotel, she was had been, quote, sleeping apparently naked and drunk, and the police take her into custody. Was she in her room yeah they like it, like where she was staying yeah but they but she has a warrant out for her arrest and they find out she's there so they go and they get her so maybe oh, she was just okay, sleeping naked see, and drunk see, and there's see, no see. like that's not against the law but she had a warrant out for her arrest right but she had but a, then of okay, course the tabloids yeah, yeah, are like oh she was naked and drunk i was like sleeping naked and drunk in a hotel is kind of a it's like reason they gold, exist. but like <laughs> um it's like, what but else do you do there? are hungry for, you know, your demise, any, yeah, anything, yeah, yeah. For sure. anything, right? They, they're looking for anything. And apparently uh, the newspapers reported that, quote, it was no movie glamour girl who faced the bench the next morning. Her eyes apparently were bloodshot. Her hair was matted. Her skirt was wrinkled. She was defiant and sarcastic. And when the judge asked her if she had anything to drink since last appearing in court in October, she said, quote, yes, I drank everything I could get, including Benzedrine, which is a type of amphetamine. And when, he, and when the judge asked her if she'd been in a fight in a Hollywood nightclub the previous evening, she said, quote, yes, I was fighting for my country and myself. I mean, points for honesty. I know. I know. Like, I think I, I think I would be friends with her. It's hard to like, it's hard to like go through the story and not think like this chick sounds amazing. But yeah. troubled, but amazing. Just, yeah, being attacked from all sides and just can't catch a break. I know. But the judge um, doesn't think that's funny. And he... <laughs> Judges <laughs> don't have much of a sense of humor. No. I- <laughs> so the judge sentences her to serve her original 180-day sentence. And he denies her permission to call a lawyer. And when he does that, she, like, freaks out. That's, like, illegal. Like, right. Like, I don't understand. I don't understand how this all happened. And if it was like, is it because she's a woman? And I don't even know. I don't quite understand yeah. this, how you this can't goes have a lawyer. But he doesn't let her call a lawyer. And she freaks out. And she, quote, causes a melee. She, like, knocks a policeman to the floor. And she bruises another officer and a matron. You know, they have, like, female female officers, I think, were called matrons or whatever. Um, and then she's carried out of the courtroom screaming, have you ever had a broken heart? And that part makes me really sad. And apparently the matrons had to remove her shoes to prevent her from injuring other people as she kicked while they carried her out. It was, it was like quite, 
quite the scene. Then, Franny's sister-in-law, who was apparently present at the sentencing, decides that admitting Franny to a psychiatric hospital would be preferable to jail. Um, so she, like, talks to the judge, and she, like, they get a psychiatrist to come in and examine her or whatever, and they transfer her to California's Kimball Sanitarium, which is a psychiatric ward of the L.A. General Hospital. Um, and the psychiatrist tells the, well, the psychiatrist tells reporters, which is, by the way, gross. Like, don't fucking, yeah, okay, what? like, what's, like, patient confidentiality? Like, I guess that didn't Gosh, exist. this whole story is just, like, did we, have we not passed any laws about patient confidentiality? I think that at this point they did Right to a lawyer? I think that that like, stuff all happened heck? much later. I think this was all before all that, sadly. I don't know for sure, but, like, you know, this is the early 1940s. So, apparently, though, the psychiatrist tells reporters that she was suffering from, quote, manic depressive psychosis, which he considered, quote, probably the forerunner of a definite dementia precox. A few days later, she's officially committed to the Screen Actors Sanitarium at La Crescenta in the San Fernando Valley. That was a thing? I guess so. <laughs> it was a Screen Actors Society. Well, if they're all in amphetamines, I imagine. <laughs> I wow. imagine she wasn't the first. But she was sent for treatment... For, quote, manic depressive psychosis, a split personality, and schizophrenia with paranoid illusions, and also simple depression, which is um, quite a laundry list. And while she is at La Crescenta, she is treated with insulin shock. Have you ever heard of insulin shock? I've, I mean, I've heard of insulin. I don't know about insulin shock. So, like, insulin shock is, like, when you're body has too much insulin and you like like diabetics if they have too like you much go into insulin shock. like your body goes into shock like they would just induce that on purpose yes they apparently believed that insulin shock overdoses of insulin which caused convulsions and coma would jolt a discorded brain back into normal functioning what the heck Franny would describe insulin shock as, quote, a brutal physical attack, which not only stunned brain cells, but shocked the body as well and left the patient racked with nausea and pain. Uh, yeah, that sounds like straight up brutality. Uh, yeah, that's exactly, you said it. And Franny is undergoing these horrible treatments and complained, you know, complained about it all to her mother, I guess her family, her mother, and her, her mother was able to finally arrange for her release. And the judge awards a guardianship of Franny to her mother and they return to Seattle. But it's pretty rough going because like her mom's like not changed, right? <laughs> her mom is the same person that said and did all these terrible mm-hmm. things. Um, and Franny wrote, quote, since the time of my, my release, Mama and I had fought, argued, threatened and screamed until it had finally come down to a climax of two exhausted women sitting across from each other in a small cluttered kitchen. We were enemies who had grown tired of pretending, end quote. Um, and less than six months later, after she's returned to Seattle with her mother, her mother files a complaint in the Superior Court asking her daughter to be designated, quote, an insane person. And she's committed to King County Hospital in Harborview, this is up, up near Seattle. And two psychiatrists testify that Franny was legally insane, as shown by signs of agitation, delusions, and paranoia. They also thought, quote, marital difficulty might have been a predisposing cause of the insanity. You know, I, I, I feel like I would have a lot of those symptoms, too, if I was... Married to Leif Erickson. I don't know. Married to... I, I, <laughs> denied a lawyer. Yes. Given deliberate overdoses, potentially a few times a week or every a few times a day for who knows yeah. how long. Like, that... I, 
this whole story is just like making me incredibly grateful for the medical advancements that we have made in the last and like years. laws that prevent some of this shit from happening um, yes because this is like you could just call a woman crazy and then it was like yep well, I, I found a man to agree with me so she's crazy yeah. now and her court appointed guardian waives her right to a jury trial so she doesn't even like have a, a proper trial and then the judge orders her committed to Western State Hospital. Western State Hospital for the insane at Stylicum. And at Western State Hospital, so, you know, insulin shock, ugh. Uh, at Western State Hospital, their treatment of choice was electroconvulsive shock therapy. Oh, of course. Yeah, just what she needs. Yep. thought you were going to say a hammer to the head. Well... <laughs> Oh wait, no, wait, no, no. Okay, no, I'm stumping ahead. Um, so at Western, so at Western State Hospital, they were like big fans of electroconvulsive therapy. It's so much better than insulin shock, <laughs> running electric currents through people's brains. Uh, and so apparently, they put Franny under a standard course of electric shock therapy, um, undergoing shocks two or three times a week for three months. And the results convinced her doctors that their famous patient made a complete recovery and she was released back to her mother's custody she was interviewed right after her release and franny said quote it's all been like a terrible dream and she hoped to get back to work soon after some rest oh this poor girl but less than a month later she's arrested on a charge of vagrancy in antioch california and apparently she was penniless looking for work as like a fucking fruit picker and when she was arrested she was wearing like a work shirt and dungarees you know which for a high flute and actress was like low, the low, you know, the tabloids. It was pretty low point mm-hmm. for her. And people like offered to kind of help, like from San Francisco and Hollywood and New York. People were like, "Let us help you." Um, and she just was like, "Fuck it." She pled guilty. She find she was fined ten dollars, suspended, and released back to her parents' custody. But not much has cha- had changed with her family relations. And by May of 1945, she is back at Western State Hospital. And she would be back. She would stay there then for the next five years. Oh, my God. Western State Hospital was fucking terrible. They had like 2,700 patients, 500 over the official capacity, and they were crammed into these old antiquated spaces. Um, There was like an investigative series later that reported that there were only 15 graduate nurses on the staff assisted by 23 student nurses. And that uh, the National Committee for Mental Hygiene Standards said that a hospital with that many patients should have 107 graduate nurses. So they had like half as many people as they're supposed to have on the payroll and 14 doctors when the requirement was 20. So they were severely understaffed. And all the buildings were terrible and shitty. And like there was one building that was like that like burned down and killed a few patients. And then they like put patients from that building into an unheated breezeway that used to like be for exercise. It was just fucking terrible. And because of all the staff shortages, the patients would be like put to bed at 4 p.m. and kept there for 12 hours. Uh, Franny talked about Western State Hospital in this recording, this interview that she did with with this woman, Lois Kibbe, um, who was a New York writer, and and they were working on her autobiography together, kind of. She did this interview, and she said that she heard women on her ward pleading for lobotomies because, quote, they had been told the operation would sever the little nerve that controls one's sense of grief. That is one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever heard. Yeah. So there's this big question now introduced of, well, did Franny receive a lobotomy? There is like a widespread rumor that she did receive a lobotomy. And it's because there was this book published about her in 1978 by this guy named William Arnold. In his book, he like is like, yeah, she definitely got a lobotomy. But... 
he fucking made a bunch of shit up in his book. And it, and it actually was not true. Thank goodness it wasn't true. And he was sued for copyright infringement. Later on, her, her sister would publish a memoir that said that hospital authorities had sought her parents' permission to perform the lobotomy, but they had refused. And her father had been horrified by the request and he threatened to sue if, quote, they tried any of their guinea pig operations on her, end quote. So thank God, at least like fucking her parents didn't let that happen. Um, mm-hmm. And some of the other nurses that worked in the ward at the same time Francis was there also corroborated like no she did not get a lobotomy so Francis at least did not get a lobotomy but her time in the ward was very troubled besides the electroshock therapy in her autobiography she wrote that she was quote raped by orderlies gnawed on by rats and poisoned by tainted food chained in padded cells strapped into straitjackets and half drowned in ice baths it is worth noting at this point like Obviously, incredibly horrifying. I have to say at this point that there is some controversy about how much of her autobiography is considered true. Because the book wasn't finished at the time that Franny died, and she had a close friend who who finished it. But it also was thought that this close friend kind of embellished the book because they wanted to, like, make it a movie, get a movie deal from it and all this other stuff. So Mm. we should note, like, I guess there are some, like, shades of doubt about what exactly was and wasn't true. But, like, no doubt... Western State Hospital was a fucking terrible place. And finally, on March 25th, she's released. This time, she was released for good. She she was apparently released because her, her father's health was failing and she had to help, help out. She had to, though, petition the Superior Court, like, three years later, to void her mother's guardianship because they still, like, had guardianship of her because she was, like, a, quote, insane person. Um, but she is... The Britney Spears story. It is. It's like the pre-Britney Spears, Britney Spears story, in a way. Not... It's actually worse than Britney Spears. Like, you can't really compare these experiences. But she's released and she she is um, freed of her guardianship. She gets a job like sorting laundry. Um, she gets married again. Her, her new husband was like a heavy equipment operator. Um, and she, you know, thought they were going to be happy together. Of course, six months later, she kind of changed her mind. And she left her husband. And she buys a one-way um, bus ticket to Eureka, California, because it was as far away from Seattle as money would take her, apparently. And she spent the next three years living quietly and anonymously. She worked under a different name, Frances Anderson. She was working as a secretary. She had no contact with her parents. And then her mom dies in 55. And then her father dies right after that. And she's named her mother's sole heir. And she gains title to the family home, which she sells. Um, and she she gets that money, which for fuck's sake, yes. Well, that's nice like, at least. Yeah, she deserves to get yes. a, catch a break. Gosh. Yes. And then she meets another guy, Leland Mixell, Mixell or Mixell, who was a quote radio and TV consultant from Indianapolis, and he kind of persuaded her that she had a chance at a comeback, which she was eager for after all of the things she'd been through. And so they moved to San Francisco. It sounds like they kind of set her up to be discovered in like a story where, oh, she's working in this hotel and I finally won the, the fight to control myself. It sounds like a little bit like a pub- like a kind of arranged publicity stunt that he, that he kind of had designed to help boost her career. But it led to some TV appearances. So she like got to, she got on the Ed Sullivan show. She played, um, she got cast in another role on stage in a Summerstock production in Pennsylvania. New Hope, Pennsylvania. And she appeared in a few TV dramas and summer theaters. She married Mike Sell. Also wouldn't be a very long marriage. She doesn't have a history of... of Healthy, happy relationships. And then this comeback kind of sputters out in 58... 
the the offers kind of all dwindle and she's offered a job hosting an afternoon movie channel on this like local TV station in Indianapolis and she accepts it and she writes to her sister in 62 uh, that she quote enjoyed the last few weeks so much in a quiet and settled way I do think I've never felt better in my life end quote she still was struggling she still was an alcoholic she had a few DUIs she was drunk on camera a few times she was eventually fired like she was like really loved and the show did really well but she couldn't like hold it together um she also was actor in residence at Purdue University um she was in a production of The Seagull in 62 she she like really fondly recalled those productions as some of the best and most fulfilling work of her career she said quote there was a long silent pause as I stood there followed by the most thunderous applause of my career the audience swept the scandal under the rug with their ovation my finest and final performance I knew I would never need to act on stage again she seemed to kind of continue to deteriorate and she does one more performance at Purdue of Look Homeward Angel which is also a very famous play but about halfway through the two-week run she's arrested for drunk driving again. She finishes the play, but that would be her last performance. She tries two business ventures with friends of hers. Neither of them pan out. She's arrested once more for drunk driving. She has her license suspended. And she gets back to work on an autobiography. But then in 1970, she's diagnosed with esophageal cancer. And she dies August 1st, 1970, which is just six weeks before her 57th birthday. And she's buried that in Indianapolis. Is, that is young. Indianapolis. Indianapolis. And that is Francis Farmer. I know this episode was long, audience. Thanks for hanging in. Because it is a story. And it is a story worth telling. Because what the fuck? Yeah, that is a roller coaster of emotions. A roller coaster of emotions. Like, for such a promising start. Holy crap. Well, for, like, clearly a woman who who was strong and capable and smart, who, like, made all these things happen, and, and then to just fall so hard. And it just, like... It doesn't make sense to me, Chloe. It's like, I find myself baffled, you know? And then I I just like the, you know, feminist in me is like, she was fucked over and she was like put in these hospitals and she shouldn't have been there. And she maybe absolutely. she did have issues and was addicted to amphetamines and was heartbroken. But like, what the fuck? It sounds like most of the issues that she had were caused or greatly exacerbated by the things that were done to her completely outside of her control. Yeah. It seemed like she really had her shit together. She was just in a society that, I mean, from childhood was like labeling her and judging her. And I mean, to be called a communist at that age. I know. I mean, she was like, you know, obviously she was like an alcoholic and she like made these terrible choices, too, that I probably people didn't make her make. But it doesn't but seem like, like she started there. No, it seems like the whole Clifford Odets thing is what kind of sent her onto this initial spiral that she had all this self-confidence and was like on this in this big place. And then she was just like really kind of brought low into this like basically, you know, into into drug abuse, really. Yeah. Yeah. That's terrible. So terrible. So sad. And so sad that they couldn't figure out a way to help her. That nobody even acknowledged that it seemed like she might need help. Right. Like addiction, therapy, like whatever. But electroshock and insulin shock and shit? What the fuck? No. Terrible. Really terrible. Truly terrible. Shockingly terrible. Anyway, that is the very sad but yet still incredible story of Franny Farmer. Don't do drugs, kids. Don't do drugs. <laughs> yeah, don't no do that. No weight loss is worth the price of amphetamine. That I can't disagree with. Anyway, 
a, a cautionary tale and a, and a warning to not be a woman in the past. And a fuck you to the court system and to those mental institutions that were so terrible. Like, I knew we were going to meet some of those institutions, like, in this series on Crazy Women. But it's not easy to, to read that and to go, what the? No. Oh, oh, that's where we came from. Oh, that's why things are the way they are. Okay, well, I guess we'll keep fighting. We will keep fighting. And that's the perfect yeah. note to end on. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> to learn more about Franny Farmer, see pictures of her and some of the quotes from this episode, head on over to broadsyoushouldknow.com. While you're there, you can click on over to the About page to read more about me and Chloe. Our bios, pictures, links to our cool stuff is all there. Are you following Broads You Should Know on social yet? We are on Facebook and Instagram at Broads You Should Know and Twitter at BYSK Podcast. To suggest a broad, fill out the form on our website or email us at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com. Are you a fan of this podcast? If so, please help spread the word about us. Share your favorite episode with your friends and family and better yet, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps new listeners to find us. Broads You Should Know is produced by me, Sarah Gorski, and edited by Chloe Skye, with original music by Darren Callahan. Finally, if you really found this episode on Franny Farmer interesting, then you should check out the other women from this series, Hannah Chaplin, Mary Todd Lincoln, and the late, great Anne Hetch. See you next week for another Broad You Should Know. <laughs>